We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to the Road of His College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Leco, joined by Jordan and Matt, as always. Fellas, it's snowing here in uh, Boulder, Colorado. Ready for some football this weekend. How are you guys doing? It's moderately cool in Cincinnati, um, but it's fall, so I love it. Yeah, same, same, same here in uh, South Central PA. It's beautiful fall day. Got me, got me feeling good. Spirits are high, so I'm just, just riding on that, riding on that. So, do you guys is is fall both of y'all's favorite season of the year? One hundred percent, Matt. Oh, that's tough for me. Weather-wise, I think I hate the fall the most, but I love college football more than anything. Yeah. It probably brings me the most joy, so yeah. So that was my question. I was walking the dogs the other day um, with my son, and we were just like noticing like all of a sudden there was all this color and falling leaves, and it was beautiful. I was like, man, this is awesome. How, how do you feel right now? Just looking around you, and he's like, I don't know, like a three? I was like, well, that's really sad. <laughs> he's like, well, it's going to get cold and blah, blah, blah. It's like, man, I love this time of year. And then I was trying to think, like, do I love this time of year because I love the fall, or do I love this time of year because I love football? And I, I think the football has made me love fall, and uh, it's just a weird chicken and egg situation. That's a hard, a hard disagree for me, man. This is – it's – the, these kind of temperatures are literally right in my wheelhouse. Like if it's you mean if, you mean twenty six degrees and snowing. Well, see, I mean we live in <laughs> we, we I live I, mean, I live about five hundred feet above area. sea level, so there's clearly an elevation difference there. Um, but yeah, I mean the the temperature is just about perfect. The humidity goes down. I'm just not a big warm weather kind of guy. Never have been. I function better in cooler weather, so that's just me. So you're you're kind of like the the monster in in Stranger Things. 
you just prefer it when it's not too hot. I, I, I can dig it. I can dig it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a great analogy, actually. Yeah. Right. Right. Quick question for you guys. The random question of the week is I want to know, I'm going to ask you the question, then I'll give you mine so you can have a couple, you know, seconds to think about it. But what is the most random article of sports memorabilia that you have? It could be uh, anything, really, anything sports related. Mine, and so the reason I ask is I was cleaning out my closet, getting ready for the cold. And for some reason, because we just moved and all the kind of stuff, I was unpacking a box and I found a bunch of old jerseys that I had from like high school and whatnot. Now, why I still have them, I don't know. But in there, I found a 1995 Jacksonville Jaguars Steve Berline jersey. And uh, yeah, apparently I had that. I don't know why. It must have been on sale because uh, who in their right mind would want a Berline jersey? But uh, I just thought it was really, it was very telling of of me and my uh, my fandom for a, a kind of terrible team. I mean, back then they weren't terrible, but I didn't even have a Mark Brunel jersey. It's Steve Berline. How how odd is that? I actually have a good answer for this, and I know this because yeah. I happened to be uh, looking at it last week. I have a customized um, Illinois jersey um, with the name with my la- with my last name Wispy Bay on it because uh, back in high school. East Bay was this amazing thing where you could make custom jerseys with the uh, all like put your name on it all the time. And I had family that went to Illinois for a while. I thought I was going to go to Illinois. It was that like one year stretch where they were like respectable at football. So I have an Illinois jersey with my last name on it. And I think it's number 13. There you go. There you go. I like that. That's very random indeed. Uh, Do you ever wish you would have gone to to the fighting Illini? They might just be the Illini now. I don't know. Mm, yes and yet. Yeah, I will say yes and no. Uh, I Their program for what I do career-wise is amazing. Um, their civil engineering program is great, but I loved being a part of a good foot or having a good football program on my campus. It really does make it a lot better. Nice. Yeah, no, that's good. That's a good one. How about you, Jordan? Were you able to think of one? Yeah, mine's not a jersey, but I have a like a die-cut piece of glass from uh the 2016 pittsburgh penguins stanley cup season and it's cut into it's cut into like the shape of the stanley cup and i have it on my desk at work um so i mean that's i i don't know how much we probably haven't talked about it on here but uh pittsburgh penguins are pretty much the only team that i actually am truly devoted to so i mean i it's hockey hockey Mm -hmm. is kind of like my my first love these days but yeah, that's probably mine. That's nice. I'm I'm told that there's nothing like going to a hockey game. Like there's nothing that kind of matches just the because you're right there on the ice. Players are right there. It's intense. There's scoring. There's action. There's there's not a whole lot of downtime. That it's just like the best experience. Is this true? Oh, absolutely. And you and you get to chug beer and <laughs> that's what it comes down to, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, beer and hockey are kind of synonymous, and 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 yeah, it's it's so fast in in person, and the just you really get a you get a sense of how how difficult it is to actually play ice hockey um, because they're moving so quickly and they're so agile while they're on skates. So it's it's a completely different dynamic, and you really get a sense of it when you see it live for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I was I had to do a little bit of research, Matt, while you were talking because I was trying to remember his name. But the dude I think of whenever I think of Illinois is Aurelius Ben, the wide receiver who I thought was just going to maul yeah. once he got to the NFL. And then he ended up on my Jaguars, and I was super excited, and just nothing ever happened. I don't know. I know he had a one big injury, and maybe that derailed his career, but I was always hoping he would be something special. No, I, I, 
Yeah, I definitely remember Aurelius Ben. I don't think I had as high hopes as you did. Oh, well, he was like a really high. Rec- anyway, we don't have to. That That is a tangent. Uh, but speaking of Illinois, holy crap. Who saw that coming? 31 point dogs and they go out and beat Wisconsin. And I, I, I was not watching this game because for the most part, they were 30 point favorites. Yeah. Well, and it, and it started out and Wisconsin was never up by a lot, but Wisconsin scored first. They were up 10, nothing, I think at half. And they, they looked comfortable. It wasn't like huge. And then all of a sudden Illinois just makes this huge comeback and wins the game. I, I, I turned it on literally for the last three minutes of the game. So I saw the touchdown then I saw them get the ball back and um, go and kick that field goal. It looked on the, the last try right before they kicked the field goal. The running back was, I think it was running back. Maybe it was a wide receiver. I can't remember now. But he was running around the corner. And instead of just like tackling him or pushing him out and, and forcing like a, a long field goal, they were trying, Wisconsin was trying to rip the ball out and force a fumble. And uh, the runner was able to get another eight, nine yards and, and put them into much more uh, manageable field goal range. And I, I thought, I thought the guy was going to miss it because we're not lucky enough to get these lovely upsets, but no, he, 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 he got the field goal and Wisconsin loses. I mean, what does this mean to you guys? I mean, obviously it's super fun, uh, but what does this mean to you? Does this change your view of Wisconsin going forward? Was this just a, they were looking ahead spot? Uh, what do you think this means Matt? I think what this game kind of showed me was about what I expected from Wisconsin. This is the second time they've looked pretty rough in Big Ten play against not good teams. They've um their defense doesn't look quite as impenetrable as uh originally we might have thought. And I mean, Jack Cone can't beat you. And the biggest thing for me that stands out is they're just not as well coached as I would have thought. I would have expected them to be smarter than passing on third and five when with two minutes left when they're up by two. I thought that was just a really baffling call. And just generally, I, I thought that was like almost game killing for them because why not run the ball with Jonathan Taylor at worst you're punting and you're putting them at the, like the 25 yard line. So it was, it was a weird ending for me. And that basically my takeaway was I have a lot of questions about, about Wisconsin moving forward. And I, I think that there's reason to have questions. I don't think, yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm quite as uh, soured on Wisconsin yet. I mean, this obviously is a is a bad loss, a game that they, you know, for all intents and purposes, should have won. But they outgained Illinois by over 100 total yards. They were around 48 percent on third down. Illinois was only two of ten on third down. But Wisconsin turned the ball over three times, and you know that's just a difficult. It's a difficult thing to do to go on the road and and have turnovers and expect to win, regardless of really who you're playing. But, I mean, I think – I kind of agree with Matt. I think we know kind of what Wisconsin is. And if you can keep Jonathan Taylor, you know, you're probably not going to stop him necessarily. But if you keep him kind of inefficient on the ground and, like Matt said, force uh, Cone to, to throw the ball downfield and beat you, if you're opportunistic on the other side of the ball, you you can you can get the best of them in that situation, and I think that might be something that we we see uh, this weekend whenever they go to Columbus. Yes, and that is definitely um, on our slate of games to preview. Um, I have not peeked ahead um, since yesterday, so I don't know if any of you guys uh, have a lock on this game. So uh, keep me in suspense here. Uh, Matt, if you don't, I'll be disappointed. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there. But um, just I just feel like you you should feel very confident. But 
I, I, I think Wisconsin outright. What's that? I said Wisconsin outright. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, little money line action there for sure. No, we have a good show for you. We're going to start off uh, just just bouncing around uh, college football a little bit, talk about some coaching rumors. Uh, then, of course, we'll do our, our Debbie segment. We're going to look at some market share leaders, the top 25, and see what, about, what, what we can take away from that. Uh, we'll look at a few other things. And uh, then we're going to look back at last week, see how we did with our with our locks. Not a not a great week for all of us, but um, that's all right. And three and one. I said for all of us, not a great week for all of us. Um, I think we had a a losing record on the week. We're a team here, Matt. Now, Matt, you continue to dominate, um, even if you don't want to wildly competitive. Yes. Well, uh, (laughs) good good for you. Matt had a great week. I did not. Is that better? Is that what you want to hear? Yes. But then we'll we'll, we'll look forward to next week. Um, I have a really weird feeling about this upcoming week. I've already done. um, I've already actually played my my picks. I've got a couple. I've got one parlay and I've got a couple other picks. And uh, then I started listening to a bunch of podcasts just to get a feel for what other people were thinking. And I am. not picking with uh, the people I listen to. So I feel a little bit nervous about that. But last time uh, that happened was when I felt pretty strongly about the Texas, Oklahoma under, and I didn't end up playing it uh, and I regretted it. So I'm just going with it. We're riding it out. It's going to be good. I'm excited to hear what you guys have for us. But uh, yeah, there's just a lot going on. It's it's difficult to, to keep up with everything in sports. And so that's why we want to recommend Sports Axios. Following a team that you love in 2019 can be time consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is just too time-consuming. So that's why I subscribe to Axios Sports. It's the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything in between. Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up, and like I said, it is free. Sports.axios.com. Not only will you be cut up, you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies. So join the 100,000 sports fans who get cut up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, like I said, no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. Free curated sports content delivered directly to you. So sign up at sports.axios.com. All right, boys. I've heard uh, I've heard the rumblings out of Florida State. Looks like they're trying to get w- rid of Willie Taggart. I was uh, actually hearing rumblings that they're going to try to get Urban to come in there, which I th- don't see happening. But but what do you guys think? Do you think uh, Florida State needs to move on from Willie Taggart? And if so, uh, who do you think would be uh, uh, not only a good replacement but someone that that Florida State could bring in? Because I mean, they're going to have to pay pay out Willie Taggart's fees and all that kind of stuff. So, Jordan, what what, what do you think about this Florida State situation? Man, it's it's baffling because I I don't necessarily know if I was super hot super high on the hire to begin with, but it's been kind of puzzling to see like how just how bad and inconsistent they've been under Taggart, especially when you consider the the recruiting um, I guess potential that Florida state carries just from being in just from their location, their historical prominence, the name, the recognition, it's all there. So, I mean, this is, it's really been kind of baffling for the last few years. And I think that, you know, ideally I think that they probably should move on, but then the question becomes, like you mentioned the buyout, you also have to have somebody who you feel confident will be a significant upgrade in order to do that. And I know you mentioned urban Meyer and, 
you know, all jokes about Urban Meyer aside, I'll set those aside for the time being. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's necessarily the fit, but I think my answer is if they can, if they, if they have an idea of someone who they think is a significant upgrade from Taggart, I still think the potential for the program is there, but it's, it's almost, you're, you're nearing close to a rebuild, um, which is kind of hard to believe is, you know, considering the, the brand. And like I said, the, uh, the potential for the recruiting landscape. So I, you know, I think that they should move on, but I don't think it's quite as easy as it sounds. Yeah, I was I was actually surprised at the hire. I mean, obviously I followed it closely because he was at Oregon, but he only went seven and six at Oregon. So I was surprised that uh, Florida State came knocking as, as loudly and as quickly as they did. But uh, hindsight being what it is, I'm very pleased that he left. <laughs> um, I'm not sure he's a good coach. Uh, I know he had uh, success in other places before Oregon, but I mean, his career, his career record as a head coach is 55 and 61. Uh, I know he did well at South Florida once he had a couple of years there, but um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what, what do you think? What do you think, Matt? I think it probably is his time to be out of there. And I don't necessarily think it's his fault. I do think Jimbo Fisher was kind of smart in getting out when he did, because he looked around the landscape of his team and said, we're not quite where we should be. And I, I, I mean, I think that he was left in a tough situation. The craziest thing about him being, I guess, so on the hot seat right now is that this wasn't a, oh, we asked like 25 people and Willie Taggart said yes. This was, they wanted Willie Taggart and they hired Willie Taggart. Right. So I'm sort of shocked to see that there are all these rumors about them bailing out already. But I mean, this is a team... I, where would you guys put them talent wise in the ACC? Cause I still think you could make a case they're second. Yeah. Maybe third, but there aren't a lot of teams that have more talent than them top to bottom. And so it's crazy to see that they're bad. As for the second question, it's so hard to say who um, you're going to replace someone with because truthfully, every time that you have these like hot coaching names out there, I, I, I mean, I think they need to, pretty big culture change. So I wouldn't be shocked if they, I mean, went to a uh, like more run centric type guy, a little bit hard nosed, who's going to try and build them up in the way that Georgia's being built up in the, we're going to win with defense and running the ball first is our focus. Um, so I don't know. I don't have a great name sitting out there, but I would kind of be surprised if they went for a spread offense type coach to replace him. Yeah. The the guy who I think would be really good um, would be Jimmy Lake, the defensive coordinator for uh, the Washington Huskies. I think he like talk about. I mean, maybe you don't want to bring another Pac twelve guy over. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you've got some. Maybe you're gun shy on that if you're Florida State. Uh, but the dude knows how to knows how to coach a defense. He also uh, is very well liked and respected by players. I think he could be a really great. I mean, he, he I think he'd be a good fit in in, in most programs. I know his name has been uh, circulating around a little bit, but I think he would be a, a good a good hire for anyone. Uh, what are some of the other coaching uh, rumors that you guys are hearing or, or just stuff um, in the landscape that, uh, that, that, is, that is worth mentioning, uh, Matt? So uh, the one rumor that's sort of sitting out there that I've, kind, I've heard a couple of times is that Mississippi State is basically ready to move on from Joe Moorhead and that they're going to not necessarily – they're hoping that he is – going to go after this Rutgers job and the fact that he's already been connected to it is a way that they could get out of the fact that they were giving up on a coach after two years 
And yeah, I mean, I, for Moorhead, I think it's a huge step back. I think it's an awful program to go to. Um, and the I don't see a clear path to winning there. I actually think Rutgers would be best suited just going back to Greg Schiano, as bad of a coach as I think he actually is. Um, so I don't necessarily like that for either party, but at the same time, it is interesting to see that Moorhead is at least very much on the hot seat after just two years with Mississippi State. Yeah, and of course, another guy on the hot seat is is Clay Helton over in USC. Jordan, what do you what do you think USC will do or should do if if those two are the same? You can let us know. It's kind of funny because it feels like Clay Helton was on the hot seat. It feels like as soon as he got there, people wanted him out, and <laughs> sure. And it's kind of tough, like to. I think it's kind of tough to truly gauge because public perception, I feel like, has been so slanted against him almost the entire time. Um, I mean, as far as this year is concerned, they're four and three. The three losses to Washington on the road, Notre Dame on the road, and BYU on the road. You know, they they do have a win against Utah, which looks pretty good right about now. They are coming off a forty-one fourteen win against Arizona. Still a tough schedule remaining. They still they still have Oregon, Arizona State, Cal. It's I don't know. It's tough. It feels like it feels like the folks out there and and their fan base boosters, et cetera, they have such high expectations. And I I don't think that the the roster is quite what they want it or maybe imagine it to be yet. So I I can't put it all on Helton, but I wouldn't be surprised. It depending on the way the rest of the schedule p- plays out if they do try to make a move. But again, it's who's out there that, that they think is better, significantly better and who they can get. USC is a huge name program. There's still a ton of talent in California. I think it can be revived, but it's going to take the, the right, you know, the right uh, combination of factors for that to happen. And it's good. They're going to have to beef up that roster to get back to where I think they, they assume that they should be. Jordan, have you heard the, uh, tie between uh james franklin and usc is that he would be one of the names that they would kind of go after first i have not heard that but um i i think james franklin is a really good coach and i think he's a pretty good i think he's a pretty good guy to get kids to come to your school and we've seen it so far um the way that he's flipped penn state's roster to now being one of the more talented top to bottom rosters you know by the metrics that we like to look at so it would it would kind of be a bummer because I, I I think that what Franklin is doing is is pretty special and I think he has a lot to do with it, but I it would make sense. Yeah, well, maybe if you loved the Penguins as much as you love the Nittany Lions, he'd have some reason to stay. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure my 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 affinity is is going to be the deciding factor. I'm on a that's, you know. I mean, that's just what I've heard. That's just I mean, that's just what they they're telling me. So right, you right. know, maybe send him. Send him a, a note or something like yeah, that. I'll, t- Maybe I'll text him. I'll text him right now. Actually, I'll get him on the horn. <laughs> well, if you can wait till after the podcast. You act like we don't have inside <laughs> sources to James Franklin, Jordan, our old podcast. Dude, sources have to be team. unnamed. That's how they stay sources. You know that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> the name was not given, and you'll have to search. You'll have to search pretty good for it. Uh, speaking of the podcast, though, I, I do want to say now that we do like we did this new rebrand with Rotoviz, uh, do please go and and leave us a rating and review. Um, if you're listening to this on the main feed, go check out the uh, the Rotoviz College Football Podcast. I think it's called the. Rotoviz uh, College 
fantasy football podcast or something like that because we talk a lot about uh, Debbie and stuff like that. But do check it out. Do subscribe. Leave us a rating and review. Uh, we do really, really appreciate it. And um, and reach out to us on on, on Twitter and whatnot. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear uh, what you guys think and uh, you know answer any questions you guys might have. Uh, speaking of Debbie, let's let's move over to uh, that portion of the show. This is an interesting list. So uh, Matt, I believe you were the one who put together this um, market share leaders top twenty five list. And as I was going over it, and I mentioned it to you guys at the top before we hit record, is uh, there's a lot of names on this top twenty five that uh, that were not familiar to me. So uh, first of all. If you could please, uh, Matt, break down what market share uh, leader, like what, what are you looking for when you're talking about market share? Just explain that to the people, explain why it's useful and what it's used for. And then maybe we can talk about uh, some of the names on the list. So the biggest reason why I'm a fan of market share is basically it's it's a little bit in the idea. It, it's a kind of simple idea. It's a if you are a really talented player, then your coach should be wanting to get the ball in your hands. If it. Coming down to it's kind of as simple as that. Um, and what I'm kind of looking for is for a single season, uh, I'm looking for over 20% is kind of the initial threshold and then above 20 or, and then beyond that for like final season, if they're truly a dominant player, I want to see over 40 and, um, and, and then 40% for, of, are you referring to yards, targets, receptions? For, I want to see 40. I want to see um, for truly dominant players, the players that are in the top tier of um, review or of my threat or my kind of analysis is there. It's 42% market share of yards. Um, there aren't a lot of guys that hit that, but it's, uh, it's pretty rare, um, which is why it's the truly elite prospects. A guy that hit that, I think, was Allen Robinson hit that. DJ Moore hit that. Um, so it, it's not a common thing. But so when you're looking at this market share list, uh, leaders list for one year, you kind of have to take a couple of things into um, consideration. Um, have they done this for a career? Is this just a one season, like senior, um, taking, uh, taking over the lead role of a bad offense? So like you said, there's some names on here that are pretty terrible. Jerrod Sanders of Air Force has 479 yards. That's over 50% of the team's yards. Um, our uh, Omar Bayless, who I actually like a little bit more, he's having a pretty outstanding season, but he hasn't um, been doing this for his career. So when you see names like that that kind of stand out, it's like, wow, I wouldn't have expected that. There's usually a reason. Now, some cases where it's a um, Minnesota for a lot of years had about 2,000 yards and it's it's nice to see them have this big threat or this big market share because it meant that even though the team was not leaning into the pass, they were still, when they were passing, targeting that player and they wanted to make sure they had the ball. So it is sort of a, there's a, you kind of have to like look carefully at it because you can't just look at a single year um, because there's more pieces of the puzzle. If a player has done it before, if it's, if they're a younger player putting up over a, uh, 20 or 20 percent uh, receiving yards um, more critically I really like to see a 0. 0.30 dominator um, when you see all that put together that's when you start to look for players who are breaking out how young they are and then for their career if they're getting to I, the magic number I always like to use is 29 percent for their career so my list doesn't have that it's just single year but it's kind of nice to see where players are at this season because You'll see things get thrown around. Like last year, the big thing I kept seeing was Riley Ridley's at 20%. Riley Ridley's at uh, 20%. Oh, that's great. He's breaking out. And then when you put it into perspective, you were like, 
that was 104th in nation in market share. So sure, it's nice to see him be one fifth of the offense, but when it's in comparison to guys like Tyler Johnson, who's at 36% on a down year, um, Tylen Wallace, who's 46% um, for the year, it's just, it, there's no comparison. And that's where you kind of have to just see a little bit of context with it. Right. And, and, and real quick, you mentioned Dominator. Explain to to all of us once again what the Dominator rating is. So Dominator rating is basically where you take the market share of receiving yards and the market share of touchdowns, you add them together and you divide it by two. So it's it's saying how uh, truly effective you are to making the offense go. Um, and like at Rotoviz, we use a .30 Dominator. Um, Blair Andrews has done a lot of work to show that that's a better threshold than .2. Um, so a lot of other sites do use point two. And so you always have to kind of know when play, uh, when sites talk about a breakout age, just know what their threshold is, because if they are saying that the player had a point three Oh dominator rating and broke out, then that is a really good sign that, yeah, this player is legit. Whereas if they are saying point two, like I said, in context, that's probably not as impressive as you think. Yeah. And, and Jordan, a question for you, um, cause I know you, you use a lot of these, um, these concepts as well when you're when you're putting your uh, your your draft boards together. But uh, where does the dominator rating, as opposed to just looking at like receptions or uh, targets, how, how how do you kind of parse those two things together? Does recept is receptions or targets not sequent like not not important at all, or is it just not as important, or is it just important in a different way? I, I would say. I would say that every every data point you can get is probably to some extent is useful. Uh, important is probably not the word I would use um, because what Dominator and what market share really does is put into context what your raw accounting stats actually mean. Um, for example, if if a if a certain wide receiver prospect plays in a full full on air raid offense like Washington State, for instance, they might have a hundred receptions in a season. But, you know, that might not really be that big of a chunk of the offense. And it doesn't really indicate exactly how dominant or how involved or potentially even how good they are. So, I mean, I tend to lean towards market share and dominator just because they add a little extra context away from just the raw counting stats. Um, and 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 when when I if I have to pick between the two, it will always be the metric with with more context added, I guess, is the, the easiest way I can put it. Okay, cool. Uh, real quick, just so you all know, everyone listening, I will uh, be putting this table in on the web on the website uh, under the show under the the show notes. So so do check it out; it's interesting. Uh, I want to talk about some of the players, but before talk about before we talk about some of the players on this list, I want to talk about some of the players not on the list. Um, all of the main all the main wide receivers that that we talk about uh, are missing from this list outside of you know a couple of the dudes you mentioned like Tyler Johnson and whatnot. But there's no Judy on here. There's no Rugs. Um, none of the Clemson guys are on here. So, so what does that mean? And and why am I not seeing their names here? If we have such high hopes for them, Matt. So I think Alabama players. I Jordan and I talked about this a little bit earlier this season. Um, I, we're starting to have to reassess when we're with some of these numbers just based on um, loaded, talented offenses sure. and uh, specifically. Um, Alabama is the one that stands out this season because they're just so loaded. So their raw stats are going to make them look great, and they're probably not going to get a um, 25% dominator. I'm going to probably quickly see if I can quickly pull this up. 
But they're, I mean, these guys are, they're very strong players. And what's going to be the thing that buoys them is that they're going to have just insane draft capital. They're going to test out really well. And they're not, they're also not putting up bad numbers. So I just pulled it up really quick. Devonta Smith is the leader in market share of yards for the team. He has 27%. Um, Jerry Judy has 24%. And Ruggs has 19%. So I do still have high hopes for all of them, but kind of for different reasons. Judy is a true uh, dominant receiver. I believe he has another strong season in his past. Um, I think last year he had a pretty reasonable dominator. He just hasn't been at quite as dominant this year. I hate sounding redundant, but uh, th- like this year, they're just a really balanced attack. Uh, for Rugs, the thing that's going to stand out is that he's going to, if he does get over the 20% threshold and he keeps his uh, yards per reception, he's going to prove himself to be a little bit of a field stretching type player, um, which is the other thing we kind of look at. He is at 21.2 yards per reception, which is well above the threshold. At least I look at, which is about 17 yards. So it it's hard to kind of say, um, well, if we have these expectations for um, all these other players, why don't we hold the truly elite to the same thing? And there are, there are people who tell you you should. Um, if you go on Twitter, you're going to find a lot of people that don't like Jerry Judy because he's not um, he's not dominating market share. But draft capital matters a ton because it's going to give him opportunity in the NFL. And so for guys like T. Higgins, guys like C.D. Lamb, and guys like um, Ruggs, um, you're and Judy, um, you're going to have to just figure out a balance between the two because draft capital is going to tell you these guys are amazing, these guys are amazing, and their numbers probably aren't going to be there. So now we have to kind of take another step back into the let's contextualize this. How good are the players with them? So it's it's becoming a little bit of a struggle, and I actually think market share is going to we're going to have to maybe do a reevaluation of how to use market share when it comes to these loaded rosters. And it, it just might present some new challenges. Yeah, that's good. Um, something that you've mentioned a couple times and Jordan, you've talked about it quite a bit as well is this idea of draft capital. So Jordan, could you just break down just real quick? Cause uh, we can't, like, we can't spend all of our time on Debbie, even though we might want to, um, if you could just break down what, I mean, obviously first round is, is high draft capital. Everyone knows that, but how, how far into the draft are you, are you looking to and, and considering it to be um, to be high draft capital? Like if someone goes in the fourth round, is that good enough for you? Or are you really wanting someone to be drafted in those top three? Um, I know that there have been some people who have done studies breaking down exactly like the, uh, the tiers as far as um, first three years, fantasy production, um, you know, what, what equals a wide receiver two in fantasy, et cetera, broken down by, by draft round. Um, Generally, sometimes people just pick an arbitrary number, say like top 100, meaning top three rounds, essentially. Um, but to really what if, if a wide receiver gets drafted in round four, five, six, seven, um, I typically downgrade the chances that they're going to be a truly relevant fantasy option. Now, obviously, that's a very general statement and there are exceptions to the rule. Again, context typically, matters, of course, yeah. Exactly. And I think that's really the I think that's really what we're kind of circling around in this whole discussion is if there was one catch all statistic or metric that predicted 100 percent what was going to happen, none of us would be doing this. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, 
it's it's literally like every single metric that we use, we use it, especially at Rotoviz, because it's statistically significant. It's been tested out over time to help us in this game of probabilities that we're playing. But there is no such thing as a 100% solid metric. It doesn't exist. Um, so, I mean, all these things, we try and contextualize them, put them together to make our best guess, because ultimately this is a game of probability. Right. Right. That's good. Uh, th- thank you guys. Uh, I think that's useful. Um, let's move on though, because we are, we are, we are moving. We're that, that clock is ticking and I want to get into some of this other stuff here. Uh, before we go into the lock review, let's just recap some of the, some of the games we previewed. Uh, we, we, we've mentioned some of these teams already, but let's actually talk about the games, Penn state, Michigan, Jordan, uh, your, your, your Nittany lions here. They got up big, twenty-one nothing. It looked like the the route was on, and then all of a sudden, you turn around and uh, Michigan's fighting their way back into the game. Do you think this spoke more to Penn State taking their foot off the gas, or is Michigan would would they just off, off to a slow start and they're they're actually they actually are good? Like, what's your takeaway from this? I don't know if I'd say they're good necessarily, but I, I was impressed with the way that they did fight back. It was like you said that the way that the game started, they could have easily just rolled over not came back out after, you know, after going down, what was it? 21, 21, nothing. Yeah. 21, nothing. Yeah. I mean, easily for a team that was already kind of down coming in, in a really tough spot on the road at night. We, we talked about that a lot last week, but I was really impressed with the way that they fought back. Um, I still, you know, I feel like I say the same thing every week about Penn state, but I still have questions about their offense. I think that they're a little bit too dependent on the big play. I, I question a little bit about their efficiency. I don't think that they've been that good in that regard, and I think that that kind of caught up with them. Um, and I think that Michigan is still, and Matt obviously will probably disagree with me on this because it's a positive for Michigan, but I still think that they're a relatively talented team. And I, I truly feel like on offense they do have pieces, um, but they just have not gelled for whatever million reasons there probably are. Um, but I think what I took away from it was I think that Michigan, their, the way that they rallied was admirable. I mean, quite frankly, they should have tied the game. Um, and then who knows what happens if it goes to overtime, yeah. who knows? Um, so, I mean, I was, I was happy with what I, you know, I was, if I was a Michigan fan, obviously I'd be upset about the loss, but I certainly wouldn't be disappointed in the effort. Yeah. Uh, Matt, uh, anything to add? Otherwise, you can uh, bring us into that Florida-South Carolina game. No, I think Jordan said about what I would say. I, I mean, I think there's reason to have questions about Penn State's offense, but their defense, yeah. for the most part, played well. So nothing too dramatic for either team. Um, for Penn State, I mean, sorry. You're sorry, you're sorry for your brain. Um, <laughs> for Florida and South Carolina, I, yeah, my, my brain's terrible. Um I actually have to say that I've been pretty impressed with this South Carolina team. Um, it's easy to say that, oh, look, they beat a Georgia team. It was a fluke, but they really didn't quit in this game. And the one piece that I've, I'm pretty happy to see doing as well as he is, is Tavian Feaster. He's been, um, he was a transfer from Clemson when he kind of got run out by ETN. And I think this is a final year of eligibility. He's been really good for them, and in this game, he was really impressive. He averaged seven yards a carry, um, had 175 yards, um, really good. Uh, I think long-term, Ryan Holinsky is a 
pretty special quarterback. I think he actually might be the second or third best QB in this freshman class. So high hopes for them. Uh, for Florida, I mean, the takeaway for me was I, I think Trask is the right guy to be running their offense. I, I like seeing him out there. I think he's playing very well. Their defense is still pretty solid. I'm really not that impressed with anyone on their offense still, but I think that we have to give Dan Mullen credit. He's done a nice job getting this program pretty much back. And um, I mean, they're going to be a difficult out for anybody left on their schedule. Yeah. And I think they do beat Georgia. You think they do beat Georgia? Hmm. I, I think they will yeah. beat Georgia. Oh, that that's a, that's a, that's a fun one. I can't wait. That'll be, that'll be, a, that'll be a good one. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to watch much of the Florida South Carolina game. I, I kept uh, just looking at the score to see if my uh, my lock would hit, and it did. Uh, one of one of very few. <laughs> but, From what I understand, there was some very questionable calls against South Carolina late in the game. I didn't. I was not paying super close attention to this game either. But from what I understand, there was um, a phantom holding call and like a a missed false start call, both of which that really hindered uh, South Carolina. Yeah, there was quite a bit of debris being thrown on the field, so I can, I can, <laughs> I believe those two things are probably correlated. Yeah, yeah, that sounds that sounds that sounds very possible. I, I, I don't find it difficult to imagine referees making terrible decisions and terrible calls. <laughs> so, um, nope. did, did you guys get a chance to watch nope. Oregon Washington? Because I certainly watched a lot of it. <laughs> well, you run, you run with it first, yeah. Well, I was. I will be honest. I had to go to a, a kid's birthday party. Uh, for my son and it was like right at halftime and it was a welcomed respite i i was not happy with what was happening uh, oregon looked uh unclear of what they wanted to do uh, on offense and defensively they just couldn't stop eason and then i feel like they finally uh i think uh mario cristobal finally listened to last week's episode where i suggested that the ducks run the football right through uh washington's uh, defensive line and that's what they did they they let cyrus habibi Liko go and i mean they only gave him the ball 14 times i think they could have given it in, given it to him more and it would have been a much easier day i do think college football and the nfl are very different i, I mean we we do appreciate the vertical passing offenses uh, and we talk about the importance of that in college football uh but but if you can run the football in college i feel like because some of these guys can average these these seven eight yard um seasons you know and I, I feel like he was just able, uh, Habibi Liko, that is, was able to just carve up this team, especially with uh, Oregon's great offensive line. Uh, so, so them getting back in it and, and being able to uh, get 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 the points they needed to get ahead. Uh, once they took the lead, it was I, I felt pretty good about it. But uh, what a crazy game! I I, I was going to ask you guys if you guys had a chance to watch the game. Uh, who would you draft first, Eason or Herbert? Uh, but if you hadn't watched the game, uh, just seeing them on the field in, at the same time in the same atmosphere in the same stadium, all that kind of stuff. I, I think I personally, even as a Ducks fan, I think I would t- I'd take Eason first. I know that's heresy, but I mean, I did watch this game. I, I didn't mean to make it sound like I didn't watch it. Um, I just knew you had the most to say. Um, yeah, I mean Herbert looked I good. Think- I mean, he threw four touchdowns, but uh, yeah, Herbert Herbert looks like a very fine quarterback. I think that if I were drafting as an NFL team, I would be enamored by Jacob Eason's upside. Yes. Herbert, I think Herbert is a great NFL backup. Uh, Like, I think he could be the best backup quarterback in the NFL. I don't know if he's a guy that I'd want to build a franchise on, um, personally speaking. But 
maybe I have too high of hopes uh, or, or maybe I, maybe my expectations were so high for like Marcus Mariota, just seeing him crash. Maybe I'm just a little gun shy. I don't know. What do you think, Jordan Herbert or Eason? That's tough. I mean, I, I think that I think Matt's spot on. I think that the NFL evaluators and scouts um, are going to fall head over heels for Eason just because. And we always talk about this. He has the quote unquote look of an NFL quarterback. And you can take that in whatever direction you want to. Um, but I, I think the big arm frame, um, and this was a this was a terrific showing for both of them. I just I, I really just wanted to say that like if you look at the box score in this game, 46 combined first downs, teams went for fourth down, went for it on fourth down five times, converted four. Um, total yards were almost dead even, no turnovers, only one combined sack. Just this is like the modern you know, the modern era football, like centerpiece The you know, this is the kind of game that I think that is probably most aesthetically pleasing. So, I mean, just generally just looking at the box score and, and the, the chunks of the game that I actually watched, it was just, it was just good football, man. It's good to watch. It's, it's pleasant. You know, it's, it's just the kind of, it's just the kind of game that I personally enjoy the most. Outside of my uh, app state coastal Carolina game from a few weeks ago, this was probably my favorite game to watch all season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially with the outcome, I, I can't disagree. Uh, but, uh, but for all the reasons you said, that's exactly why the under didn't hit is that the offenses were just clicking. They, they weren't really, uh, making too many, too many mistakes, too many errors. Uh, Salvin Ahmed, uh, looked great for Washington. He, he had 140 yards and a touchdown. He was unstoppable, especially in the first half. Um, it was a really exciting game. Uh, pleased with the outcome. I still don't think Oregon's going to get into the playoff. Um, I think they will still lose another game before it's all said and done. But uh, enough about that. Let's uh, let's review our locks real quick before we uh, jump ahead to next week. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll you know speaking of the under, um, I was well off on that. I had the Oregon Washington under and, and lost that. My other losses was uh, my my Nevada plus twenty one and a half. Man, that was disappointing. I knew pretty quickly that wasn't going to hit <laughs> because it was at halftime. Um, and then Temple SMU was the same thing. Uh, SMU just just got off to such a hot start. Uh, I won't be picking against SMU at all uh, the rest of the way. I can assure you of that. They look they look pretty good, and I don't want to be picking against them. My two wins were Pitt minus three against Syracuse, and then Florida five and a half. Um, they got the win as well against South Carolina, which we talked about. Matt, give us your give us your uh, your week eight in review. So my loss of the week was Missouri um, minus twenty and a half, who lost outright on the field to a garbage Vanderbilt team. Needless to say, does it kind of I, does it feel kind of fun to say my one loss when you had multiple picks? And you only have to talk about one loss. I mean, I don't know that feeling. So you, I'm just you had like a four and a week, two weeks ago. I don't <laughs> want to hear it. Um, no, like I I will not be picking Missouri on the road um, again this season. I think that they're a very weird team, and I think uh, Vanderbilt came to play. Uh, my wins were Syracuse and Pitt under fifty two. Had to sweat that for a minute, but it ended up not being that bad uh rice utsa my throw on the end pick uh over 42 that one hit pretty easily and then my first half ohio state minus 16 and a half uh first quarter they just they really just toy with teams in the first quarter and then the second quarter will just run everyone off the field so was pretty happy to see that one come through yeah nice jordan not a great week one and two um Arizona State was getting 13 and a half against Utah. This was a a tragically 
a tragically sad game. Um, <laughs> it was 14 to three Utah at the end of the third, and Arizona State finished with 25 yards passing, 136 uh. total yards. They were two for 13 on third down. They had eight total first downs, two turnovers. Utah turned the ball over four times. So, I mean, the cover wasn't that far away, but, I mean, this game was was way uglier than the final score. It was the wrong side. Um, yeah. Uh, LSU-Mississippi State didn't make it to 61. I think that they kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit, uh, LSU, that is. Uh, I know Miles Brennan was taking snaps near the end of the game, so – Pulled their starters, probably the reason why it didn't go over. Um, it was a little bit of a sloppy game to start. But the one win I had was the most ridiculous sounding pick of all when I took the uh, Northwestern team total <laughs> under 10 and a half. Ridiculously yeah. low number. And right. I just give no respect to Northwestern. I don't care anymore. They are an, um, an embarrassment on offense. Quite simply, an embarrassment. Um, they scored on their first drive. Exactly. They scored three points on their first drive and didn't score again. Exactly. That is bonkers. It's wild. I mean, they, they really, honestly, they should just punt. Yeah. They should just get the, get the ball on first down and punt. That's literally what they should do. <laughs> oh, it's rough. It is rough. Hashtag or email me at hashtag. I don't, I don't care. Is that, is that what Fitz said? Oh, wow. Man, poor guy. Love, love you, cats. Love you. Oh man, we're gonna get some one star reviews this week <laughs> uh, from all our Northwestern <laughs> fans. No, your team is garbage. I'm sorry. It's uh, it's not your fault, but it's oh man, I I can't watch them. I refuse. I, I just don't do it to myself. Uh, but yeah, let's 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 look to uh, this upcoming week. We've got some some fun games coming up here. Let's uh, roll through our previews pretty quickly so we can spend a little bit more time on our locks. Uh, let's start, of course, with uh, your Buckeyes, Wisconsin at Ohio State. Matt, tell me why the 14.5 is not a large enough number. I'm sort of disappointed in Wisconsin losing only because I feel like this number would have been a lot easier for me to pick because I think it probably would have been about 10 had they not lost. Um, I think that Ohio State, when challenged with shutdown one player and the offense will stop, will likely not have much of an issue with that. They seem to rest a bunch of key players last week. I know Baron Browning, who has played a pretty uh, important role on the defense this year, sat out against Northwestern and seems like he's ready to go. He's going to be tasked with shutting down Jonathan Taylor as he is our most athletic running or linebacker. And if they can't score 20 then Ohio State will cover this number fairly easily, and I don't see them scoring 20 against Ohio State. Jordan? Yeah, I'm jumping on Ohio State here as well. Uh, the number is – it feels a touch high, and the only thing that I'm really concerned about is um, weather in Columbus on Saturday could be windy, wet, um, 10 to 20, 20 mile-per-hour winds, potentially up to an inch of rain. And the reason why that is a bit concerning is because if you take away – it, Ohio State hasn't necessarily gotten a ton of chunk plays through the air consistently, but if you take that facet away and if they are forced to grind it out a little bit more, I think that that does slightly decrease the chance that they cover over two touchdowns. But I, I'm just not willing to get out in front of Ohio State right now, I, just flat out. It, it has to be a ridiculous number for me to even consider the other side. So when forced to pick, I'm going to lay it with Ohio State at this point. Yeah. 
So if if this was the only slate that all of us like the only game on the slate that all of us were picking together, I would say yeah, it's a sweep. But we're we're in agreement with so many of the other picks that we have that I felt the need to be contrarian. But I actually do. So I put Wisconsin down just to be different. But I don't like the number. Like I'm not betting. Like this game is not on my on my locks. I don't I don't feel comfortable with it. I don't. I definitely wouldn't be putting any money on Wisconsin. Um, I just wrote them down because I wanted to be different. But but really, I think 14 and a half should be fairly easy. I could see a backdoor cover, like a 28 to 42 type type finish. But uh, I think Ohio State wins this pretty comfortably. Uh, so I put Wisconsin down, but not with any conviction. Uh, let's move over to Auburn LSU. Um, Jordan, tell me why the 10 and a half points that LSU um, is favored by is, is not scaring you away. Yeah, I mean, this is another kind of tough one for me because LSU is sort of another team that I'm not quite willing to step in front of at this point. I know that their defense has not been as good as we typically expect LSU defenses to be, but Joe Burrow is he's just work he's he's working it right now, and they get back. Uh, I believe Terrace Marshall comes back, um, so they have their full complement of wide receivers now. And I'm just not entirely sold on Bo Nix because I think Auburn is, you know, Auburn will put up resistance uh, on defense, but I think ultimately LSU will get their points. And what I'm just not entirely sure of is if Bo Nix can keep pace. It's a big number, especially considering the talent on the two teams, because I think Auburn is pretty talented. But again, I'm just not willing to get out in front of LSU. Same, Same type of deal with Ohio State. So I'll lay the points. Matt, did you just change yours? I did. I'm a coward. Um, oh, I was so, going to give you a hard time for picking Auburn because you've been in love with LSU this year. And I, I do love this LSU team. And I think my take, the my initial reason is I felt like the number was too big going up against Auburn's defense. But then I stopped and thought about the fact of without a running game because I'm, Whitlow is still out, um, I don't know how Auburn's going to score because they're going mm-hmm. up against easily the best secondary they've gone up against this year. And Bo Nix is not uh, unlikely to make mistakes. So, yeah. I, don't do not do those triple, not unlikely. So he is likely okay. to make mistakes. Okay. Against, you know. <laughs> a, against a team like uh, LSU with uh, Delpit and I believe his name's Stryker, the freshman. Damn, that's a good name. He, I, I'm you. Yeah. I should probably double check it, but my guess is that he, he's really he's a solid cornerback. Uh, he's been playing great this year for them. They are going to probably force mistakes out of Bonick. Sorry for continuing to put caveats on stuff, but uh, I just expect that LSU will be able to pick their number at the end because they were able to pick their number against Florida, and I think Florida's defense is just as good, if not better, than Auburn's. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you guys. Auburn has not been road tested. I think they, and, and I mean, they were against Florida and they lost. I don't think Texas, I don't think at Texas A&M, I mean, I've, I've been down in Texas A&M all year. So, so that's not a surprise. And the Oregon game was on a neutral field. So uh, to me, them going at LSU, no, thank you. I, I think Auburn uh, doesn't really have much of a chance. I think they lose by, by, by two touchdowns. Notre Dame at Michigan. It's a pick em. Matt, you must really hate Notre Dame. You know what's funny <laughs> is I keep doing this. I just pick schools I don't like, but I actually kind of like this spot for Michigan. I think they did sort of uh, figure some stuff out in the second half. And I'm Notre Dame's offense is pretty reliant upon the running game getting going. And I actually think that Michigan is starting to figure out how to stop the run, and because they did stop a 
a nice little stable of running backs last week for the most part, or at least they held him in check. So I hate everything right now, and I'm gonna go vomit after this, but I'm just gonna <laughs> just gonna bite the bullet, take Michigan, and never ever talk about this again. That's fair, Jordan. Yeah, I mean this one's really tough for me. Uh, I wouldn't bet it um, at all, but I I lean. I did. Yeah, I lean Notre. I lean Notre Dame. But if you're if you're uh, if you feel confident enough to actually bet it, I will defer the uh, the majority of the analysis to you. Well, I'll I'll save it for our locks because uh, it oh, is it is on my slate. That's and, fair, and it's part of a part of a parlay. So hey, I'm feeling frisky. Let's <laughs> let's finish it up, Jordan. Uh, talk to us. Penn State minus six at Sparty. You're going nit- the Nittany Lions, and I agree with you. Now just tell me why. I've I've gotten. I've gotten them wrong pretty much every single week. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But what it, what I really am interested to see is if Michigan State can score. Um, I, I I think that Penn State's defense is for real. Uh, the second half letdown last week against Michigan uh, notwithstanding. I just don't really trust Michigan State to score that many points. This is definitely a tricky spot. It's a letdown spot on the road. Rivalry game. It screams, you know, it screams potential upset on the field, actually, to be quite honest. But I I just trust Penn State more, basically top to bottom. I think it's low scoring, but I can see Penn State winning by a touchdown. So I'll lay the six. Yeah, I'm with you. Matt, you are not. What, what, what are you thinking here? I keep, like, overthinking some of these picks, I think, because I just switched <laughs> three of my selections. But... uh so I, I honestly, my only analysis on this one is Penn State's offense scares me still. I'm not convinced it's good. I'm actually like not really convinced it's average. There are a lot of moments when Sean Clifford concerns me in leading their offense. And Michigan State, despite everything they've gone through this year, despite some of their struggles against prolific offenses, they're still solid on defense and at home six points feels like a lot I don't know I don't really like the pick it's another one I'm not going to go put my money down on but yeah (laughs) if they can keep KJ Hamler from getting a 50-yard touchdown they'll probably win Hmm. I just I I I I don't think Michigan State's all that good Uh, I think it will be a a nasty, low-scoring affair, but I think Penn State can win it by a touchdown, uh, even on the road. So I am also with the Nittany Lions here. Uh, Now, before we get into our locks for this upcoming week, uh, we just want to tell you a little bit about Indochino. You have heard about them before, but Matt, tell us a little bit about them. Tell us why we should be looking at Indochino when we're looking for um, our, our, our next suit or fine men's tailored clothing. So I told you guys a couple of weeks ago that I went to a wedding and missed a whole bunch of football. And at that wedding, man, did I feel underdressed. My my suit jacket was just starting to get all like ruined. It's starting to get a hole in it. I wish I'd ordered a suit from Indochino, Indochino because Indochino is founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe. Men just generally look better in suits. It's kind of a proven fact. Uh, everyone who uh, wears a suit probably looks a little bit better. Best part about Indochino Almost all of their custom clothing is under $400, and it's great. The process is simple. You get to choose your fabric, pick your customization, submit your measurements. Uh, your package will be delivered to your door in two weeks, uh, and you get measured and design your suit in the nearest Indochino suit, uh, showroom if you uh, want to, you can, but you can also do it yourself online. 
So start your style upgrade now with a $30 off your total purchases of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering the code BLUEWIRE at checkout. Plus, shipping's free. That's Indochino.com with the promo code BLUEWIRE for 30% off your total purchase of $399 or more. It's an incredible deal to get made-to-measure made clothing. There, You really have no excuse to wear clothing that doesn't fit. That is very true. Um, having worked in a suit shop, I can tell you there's nothing worse than an ill-fitting suit. So please do go to Indochino. It is good stuff. Indochino is part of the reason I stopped working at where I did work because they were offering just such incredible deals that people no longer wanted to shop with us. So uh, yeah, when you're on commission sales and people can get better deals online and it's more convenient and better product, that's, that makes for difficult competition. So check Indochino out. Um, speaking of getting dressed up, we have a, I've got a Halloween party this upcoming weekend. And I was begging my wife to uh, go in a certain direction with our, out, with our costume so that I could wear my suit because, damn, I look good in a suit. And I look really <laughs> terrible and everything else. Um, but no, we are going as Mutt and Alexis from Schitt's Creek. Uh, so I will be wearing a garbage vest instead, which is um, which is fantastic. I get uh, that reference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it'll still be fun. I'm still excited. Uh, but yeah, what I'm really looking forward to is uh, is hearing some of your locks because now I'm scrolling down on our show doc and I'm seeing some of them. And uh, this this looks like a a very Matt centric. Like this is you're very on brand with your picks here, and I'm excited to hear some of your reasoning behind it. Um, again, Matt, you're 17, nine and two. I'm impressed by that too. That's, that's pretty, um, pretty incredible that, you, that you're getting those, uh, those pushes, but give us, give us one of the, one of your, uh, locks that you feel best about this week, or as we said last week that they may not be locks, but, but our hunches. <laughs> I, I did throw in the, I got a feeling and it was in every time I say that I do hear the black eyed peas, um, playing. So, oh, absolutely. um, so I'll start off with, uh, my favorite pick of the week, which is North Texas and Charlotte over 63. Uh, these are two both over teams on the year. They're, uh, North Texas is 5-2 and two on over, Charlotte's 6-1. and one. Both teams are averaging 30 points a game um, scored and then over 30 points a game allowed. Um, when you're just looking at it from this number, games over 63, North Texas has four games, which does not include one push, and Charlotte has five. Uh, they both rank in the bottom 35 of S&P Plus uh, defensively, and S&P Plus has this game at 66.5. I really just think this turns into a shootout. I'm going to have a lot of fun following the score because I know every time I look back at it, there's going to be more points on the board. Ooh, I really like this one, and your logic seems impenetrable. I will will be playing this one as well. Uh, It's not on my locks. I'll give you full credit for it, but I am going to put some money on it because that was a nice convincing argument. I like that. Jordan, give me one. Sure. So I'm going uh, Washington State plus 14 at Oregon. Um, Oregon's off. You know, we talked about their their big road win against Washington last week. Uh, they have a road uh, road trip to USC on deck next week. I, you know, it's a little bit, you know, USC isn't the power that, that they have been, but I do still think it might be a little bit of a look ahead spot. Washington State is coming off a 41 to 10 win against Colorado. They have a bye next week. So, they shouldn't, you know, they should be playing hard knowing that they have the rest coming up. And and under Mike Leach, uh, Washington State is 27-18-0 against the spread as an underdog and 18-9-0 as a road underdog. Um, I think it's possible that Oregon jumps out early, but I think that Washington State's offense, air raid centric, always allows the possibility for a backdoor cover. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if this game is actually closer than we anticipate. So I think it's a pretty good spot for Washington State despite being on the road. Uh, so give me the Cougs plus 14. Are, are you a history fan, Jordan? Absolutely. Because history is on your side. The Ducks have not won uh, versus these Cougars since 2014. So it has been a minute. So I think your 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 intuition to go go with Washington State plus 14 is spot on. I'm not playing that. I am playing the under. Uh, last week, I thought that Vegas got smart and realized that Oregon unders are, are where it's at because they set the line pretty low. But this week, they, they put it high again. It's all the way back up to 64 and a half. Uh, the unders have hit five times this year in, in Oregon games, I'm pretty sure. And I myself am six and two on betting on Oregon games. So you want to stick with me on this one. We're going to go Oregon under 64 and a half. I think the Washington State plus 14 is also in play, but I only wanted to put one on this one. So I feel I feel really good about that, about your pick, Jordan. And uh, my pick on that game is the under 64 and a half. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if both of us uh, make a little bit of money on that one. So yeah. I think it's I think it's spot on. Uh, how about you give us another one of yours, Matt? So I, I actually just added one, and it's it's my my new effort pick of the week, and it is uh, slightly off brand. I'm gonna go with a pretty mainstream game. I'm gonna take Wisconsin team total under seventeen and a half. Uh, as Jordan mentioned, weather is going to be a bit of an uh, bit of a problem in this game. I think that's basically gonna completely take Jack Cohn out of the game. Um, and Ohio State is first in defensive S&P Plus on the year. And they've held quite a few teams under 17 and a half on the year. And I just don't think Wisconsin's offense is very good. Like I said, it's my effort pick of the week. And I wanted to throw on one extra pick on the on my slate. Sorry, I, I had to run away from the computer for just a second there because there is a storm of craziness above me. I'm in the basement as always. And it just felt like the house was falling falling down upon me. I thought maybe there was an earthquake. I realized it was just that my kids came home. So I apologize for all of the <laughs> crazy noises. But they're like like have, they brought home a pet elephant. I think it's uh, it's pretty pretty intense. But you're going under seventeen and a half on Wisconsin. That is a bold pick. I will not uh, I will not go down that rabbit hole with you. Um, that that seems. That seems pretty risky, but hey, I said the same thing about Northwestern, and and that proved to be good, uh, good strategy. So th- just those low under team totals scare the scare the shit out of me. So I, I will be avoiding that one. Jordan, give us you, you're you're going with a, a huge number with Alabama here. So so talk us through this one, please. Yeah, speaking of elephants, that was a great segue. Um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, it. It like low hanging fruit, and I missed it. Well done. <laughs> So Alabama laying 31 at home against Arkansas. We obviously know Tua is not going to play. Mac Jones is going to be the starter. The drop-off is evident. I'm not here to tell you that it's not. But I am here to tell you that Alabama still has three wide receivers who are most likely top two-round NFL picks if they all come out next year. Their defense, despite some narrative about them dropping off, they still rank seventh in defensive efficiency according to ESPN. Arkansas's quarterbacks are both banged up. They still haven't announced a starter. Um, Arkansas defense ranks 95th in yards per play allowed, 107th in yards per carry. So if Alabama does decide to run the ball to protect their new starter, that should be just fine. I just think that this number is short. I, you know, I think it comes down to motivation um, for Alabama mm, to yeah. get margin. And, you know, I Nick Saban, you never quite know exactly what he's going to do, but 
I, I, I really am concerned. I, I don't know how much Arkansas can score in this spot. And I think that Alabama, despite not having two, uh, they're still so talented at every position. So I, I, it's a big number. You're right, especially missing their starting quarterback. But I'll still lay the 31. That's fair. It's it's a good process. And yeah, we'll have to see if if the if the replacement quarterback is uh, is able to do it. But yeah, I think Arkansas is bad enough that <laughs> that it's definitely they're in the bad. cards. Yeah, I want to talk bad. a little. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about my parlay because it's uh, it's very on brand for me. Um, I'm taking two road games. Uh, I'm doing Texas as a two and a half point favorite at TCU uh, and Notre Dame. When I took it, it was minus one at Michigan. I'm surprised. I know Texas struggled last week, but TCU's lost two in a row. They haven't looked great. Uh, to me, this game is going to come down uh, to the two to the running game. If TCU can run the football and stop Texas from running the football, I think they have a really good shot at uh, keeping this really close. I just don't think they're going to be able to do that. Uh, I think Herman uh, makes makes TCU beat them in through the air, and I don't think Duggan can do that. So I feel very confident that Texas is able to cover this. I just don't see Sam Ellinger struggling too much against that defense. So I, I think Texas wins it uh, fairly comfortably. I don't think I'll be sweating this one too much. And Notre Dame at Michigan, I just trust... Um, Ian Book more than more than Shea. Uh, if you look at how these uh, teams have done so far on the year, uh, Notre Dame is four and two against this against the spread. Uh, Michigan is just three and four. I feel pretty good. Uh, I feel like I have a pretty good read on on what this Michigan team is, or rather, what they aren't. Um, and that is, uh, they are not a super efficient uh, team. They turn the ball over a ton. I believe they're they're minus two on the year, whereas Notre Dame is in the positive. I think they're like plus. They might be a uh, plus 10, I believe, um, in turnover. So I think the turnover battle will come into uh, come into play, and I think Notre Dame is able to take advantage of that and win the game. So those are my parlay picks right there is Notre Dame minus one and Texas minus two and a half. Matt, let's hear another one of yours. So now I'm back to my brand of games that aren't on TV anywhere. So I'm going to jump in with uh, Louisiana Tech and UTEP uh, over 50.5. Uh, Louisiana Tech's actually a pretty reasonable team, and UTEP is hot garbage. But what I'm, uh, what stands out to me in this one is they're both not great on defense. UTEP is the second worst defensive S and P plus team, whereas uh, Louisiana Tech it ranks 40th worst. UTEP is allowing 33 points a game, while Louisiana Tech is allowing 24 points per game. Uh, Louisiana Tech would have gone over 50.5 in three out of their last four games. And S&P Plus has this game at 59.5. I think Louisiana Tech is pretty much going to be able to put their choose whatever number they want, and they can score points when they want to. I think this game should honestly get pretty close to 60. I like this spot a lot. Great. That sounds good. Jordan, let's hear your last one here. Yeah, I'll close it out on my end. I'm going Indiana plus 2.5 at Nebraska. This number actually opened up. Indiana was favored, I believe, by a point and a half. So I'm clearly on the other side of about 75% of the public. But, you know, what I see is these are two teams with nearly identical defensive efficiency profiles. uh, But the gap on offense uh, is noticeable. Indiana ranks 27th. Nebraska ranks 83rd. Um, Nebraska's run game is severely, severely hampered with Maurice Washington off the team. Uh, Wondell Robinson is questionable to play. The last I saw both of their quarterbacks, Adrian Martinez, um, and I can't remember the guy's first name, but their backup they played last week, they're both questionable. So whoever gets the nod probably won't be 100%. So that's a bit of a concern. Nebraska's one and six against the spread this season. 
S&P Plus makes this Indiana favored by eight. So, I mean, the Huskers are at home off a bye. So, I mean, I guess that's why people are siding with them. Maybe still a little bit of the Scott Frost uh, allure. But it kind of feels like the wrong team is favored. I, I think the opening line was probably closer to correct than what it is now. So I'll take the two and a half, and I wouldn't be surprised if Indiana just wins it outright. Yeah, so when I saw this game earlier in the week, it was, as you said, um, Indiana minus one. And I was like, man, I'm putting Nebraska on my locks. And then the more I looked into it, I was like, wait a second, this this is misleading. And I think there's just a lot of you know that name brand appeal with a game like this, no one really thinks of Indiana in the same ballpark as Nebraska, even though Nebraska hasn't been good for a while. But just the preseason expectations that, that followed them, I still think do have a little bit of an effect, especially against non-elite teams. Like we're not talking about Nebraska versus Ohio State anymore. It's Indiana, so you'd think they would win. So the more I looked into it, the more I kind of fell in line with your thinking here. So I think that's a really good spot. Um, would, you be, would you be willing to go money line on that one, or are you wanting to uh, just stick with the two and a half? I mean, I'll gladly take any points I can get. But I, like I said, I do think there's a decent chance that they win it outright. Yeah, I, I, think, that's, I think that's a good call. All right, Matt, let's hear, let's hear your last one. Last one is very on brand, uh, as it's a bunch of teams that people don't watch. Uh, Southern Miss and Rice over 50. Uh, this line has moved down, which concerns me a little bit because it probably means that there's some weather involved. But whatever, I don't care. It's one of my uh, favorite ones for the week. Both teams are four and three on overs this year. Uh, Rice is a hot garbage and is allowing 30.4 points per game. Southern Miss also hot garbage, allowing 32 points per game. As you would expect based on those numbers, both are in the bottom 25 of defensive S&P Plus. So as you would expect based on that, uh, S&P Plus has this game at 58.25. So I've got a very healthy uh, window to uh, where it could fall in. And I'm just really a fan of Jack Abraham at a, our Southern Misses quarterback. He's one of the leading passers for the year. I think he's going to have a field day, and I I kind of just think Southern Miss is going to score a lot of points. So look for a game in the mid or each team scoring in the mid 30s. Um, and when I say look at, I mean clearly just look at the score because you probably won't be able to find it on TV. <laughs> right. So so you had four picks. You have three overs and an under. Uh, that is that is very very much what I. It's, What's what we come here for? That's why we like to listen to you, Matt. <laughs> That's good stuff right there. And three of them are garbage games that you can't find on TV anywhere. You're yeah. welcome. That's perfect. That is perfect. My last one is one I don't feel great about, um, but I, I felt a lot better about it before listening to all those podcasts that I was telling you about. And that's Oklahoma State plus 10.5 at Iowa State. People love Iowa State a lot more than I do. I'm just not a believer, especially not as a double-digit favorite. I know Oklahoma State has had their their troubles and their issues, but I think this is just going to be uh, a lot of ground and pound for Oklahoma State with uh, with Hubbard. I think they're going to be able to keep it close. I think they still lose uh, by by you know eight to ten points, but uh, give me Oklahoma State plus ten and a half. I know I'm the only one in the world betting this one, but uh, but I'm putting it on my board anyway, and uh, feel feel pretty pretty squeamish about it, but. But say lovey. Last time I didn't go with my 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 thinking because of you know all all the other people in my ear, and I'm not going to do it again. So I'm sticking with it. Logic be damned. <laughs> Oklahoma State <laughs> plus ten and a half. Hey, you get Chuba and uh, Tylen Wallace. You're set. 
Yeah, yeah. I think Sanders is is a, a liability at quarterback, but we can talk about that another time. Um, I'd love to hear from all of you listeners, though. Please do hit us up on Twitter at Rotoviz CFB Show. Uh, follow us there. Reach out to us. Talk to us. Matt runs the uh, the Twitter account every once in a while on, on especially on Saturdays. So if you want to uh, follow along with some of that kind of stuff, unless he's at a at a wedding, of course, uh, please do so. Um, still jump. Matt, where can people find you? Tell us where you are on Twitter and then tell us a little bit about your writing over at Rotoviz. Uh, you can find me at Wispy the Kid on Twitter. And I believe my article on the Group of Five Rundown just dropped a little bit ago. So go check it out. Uh, previewing a couple or highlighting a few SMU players this week. Perfect. Jordan? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at jhoover9787. My article either came out today or will be dropping tomorrow. Perfect. Um, and there's a little bit about LaVisca Chenault. So. Some good stuff there to check out. Perfect. Yeah, I will have the links to both of those in the uh, show doc on the webpage as usual. So do do, do please check those out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at StayFunLaco. And uh, my writing is also in Rotoviz. I write more about the NFL stuff, so you can't find much college football stuff uh, there. But uh, do check it out. Kicker. Uh, well, thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate it. We are looking forward to some good action here this weekend. Hopefully, uh, we, we we leave here. We don't have any uh, disagreements on our on our picks here. So hopefully, we have a nice undefeated week, and we can talk all about our. We can start doing victory laps already. I think I feel that good about it. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, another long episode here, but uh, we appreciate you sticking around to the end. We'll talk to you next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.